Hello, my name is Larry Lannon, the writer behind the local Fishers Indiana news blog, LarryInFishers.com. I started the blog in January of 2012, and it is still going. Four years after that, in 2016, I started the LarryInFishers.com podcast series featuring guests of local interest. That podcast is still going strong. Now, if you like the podcast and are listening on a platform such as iTunes, I'll just take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. It's time now for the latest LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at a building that's called the Pavilion. It's right between the amphitheater and the construction site for the new City Hall and Arts Center. My name's Larry Lannon, and I have with me Elliot Hulkren, who was the deputy mayor for the city of Fishers, and we're honored also to have the, the mayor of Fishers, Scott Fadness. It's been a while. I've been a little busy with personal matters. So this is my first local podcast for a while. It's an honor to have you two gentlemen here to join me for that. Thanks for uh, inviting us, and it's great to see you again. And uh, Mayor I, d- I haven't had a chance to talk to you publicly since, and I'm just so happy you and your son uh, were not seriously injured in an accident that happened really several weeks ago. Uh, very happy to, that that I know your your vehicle didn't survive, but you and your son did. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a car accident. I think we got hit head on about 45, 50 miles an hour. Had my youngest son with me, and um, we both walked away from it uh, with some bruises and cut lip and things of that nature but uh, yeah my car my beloved city vehicle of 17 years uh it didn't fare as well uh and was totaled so that was a i've been going through a grieving process and uh i'm i'm on the back side of that i think now no i'm elliot you know amongst the city staff uh, the mayor's car was always our vehicle was always a uh, part of discussion and people now that it's gone it uh, that discussion is gone yeah there was a celebration down at uh, fleet management when she uh, she finally was laid to rest uh, yeah there was a lot of happy mechanics we are recording this on may 24th uh, just a few hours ago there was a ribbon cutting ceremony for geist waterfront park and and geist waterfront park has been a long road so i went back and looked at stories i wrote in 2017 about this uh, it's now come to the point where the park will be available to the public. May 27th is the first day it's it's uh, available to the public. I'm going to ask the mayor to start this. Uh, just talk about this long journey from the conception of this park to reality. I didn't realize it had been that long. That is a long time. Um, we all know that Geist Reservoir is a unique asset to have in your community. It's beautiful out there. And uh, up until this point, there was never a, an access point for the public to utilize that that amenity. And so it kind of it was a convergence of, I used to live by there and I'd drive by it all the time and see that site. Uh, I knew that the quarry was ending their operations. I had heard that there was development being considered there, another neighborhood that would add probably 90 more homes, restrict any access to the water to those who bought the million dollar homes. Um, and then at the same time, I think we were doing a kind of an update to our comprehensive plan and People started identifying that as potential green space, so uh, we made the decision to move forward with acquiring that property, which was quite a quite a lengthy uh, discussion with the developer, uh, and we finally settled on a price and got that done, and then we went through a pretty extensive kind of campaign, if you will, engaging residents to ask them what they would like to see in that area, and then ultimately the design, and then I don't think people truly understand 
how complex the construction of that was. Because when you go out there now, it just looks like a, someone threw down a bunch of sand and, uh, and then you have a parking lot and a, and a few other amenities. But the engineering of actually creating that beach uh, was significant and took two years to complete. Uh, and so, yeah, today was an exciting day to cut the ribbon and uh, more exciting over the past several days, Elliot and I and staff have had the opportunity to go out there and see families uh, already utilizing the beach. Yeah, I was telling Elliot before you got here, Mayor, that uh, I was there in November when they had the first sneak peek for the, and it was less, I think the, I think the wind chill was, oh, was under terrible. 20, it was, it was terrible, windy yeah. and cold. There were kids crawling all over that pirate uh, area where yeah. you can, you know, have all kinds of things to do. So, Elliot, you know, I was telling my wife asked me, she'd never been out there, and I saw her today. She goes, well, what is there? And I said, the two big areas would be the beach and then, of course, that area, play area, for a pirate-themed uh, play area. But uh, it's taken a lot of work to, to get here. Talk about your involvement. Yeah, it has, absolutely. And there are a lot of cool amenities to that park. Uh, my five-year-old's been out there a handful of times, and he thinks that pirate ship uh, is, is the best thing going. Uh, and I'm excited to, to what uh, the mayor said as well, to see uh, more folks out there enjoying it this weekend and beyond. Uh, for your community, for in your community to be able to grab a cup of coffee and go put your, your toes in the sand on a Saturday morning and bring your family out there and uh, play in the sand and, and, and the water is uh, really special in central Indiana unless you're driving up to you know, Lake Michigan. This is the best thing going around here. So it's really neat. Uh, it's really been an entire uh, team effort. Uh, our parks department has been incredible. Marissa Decker in the lead there and Jake Reed McSoley has done a fantastic job uh, coming to the city and, and really uh, pushing that thing over the goal line, so it's been a fantastic team effort from our entire our entire group here. So one like one interesting fact is that what is now where the beach is, that watering hole, if you will, was thirty or forty feet deep, and obviously we couldn't create a swim hole where little kids walk out into thirty feet deep water. So we literally had to dam the area. We shocked the fish, believe it or not, which surfaces the fish. We captured all the fish and then put them back in the guy's reservoir. And I can't remember how many thousands of pounds of fish, but there were a lot of fish in there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we drained the pond down to, to the ground, had to continue to dewater it, and then we had to slope the uh, watering hole, so to speak, so that when kids and families go out there now, you have a nice gentle slope out to four feet deep, and it's all sand. So that is not that is not an an easy construction process to go through, and I can't remember. Jake says how many tons of uh, sand we had to bring in, but it was significant, and it really did turn out. This, I mean, when you're out there, it feels like you're on a beach, a legitimate beach, and that's really what we we're going for. Hate to bring this up, but I'm going to have to. Uh, you, the city, has been beaten up pretty badly on social media and some of the media outlets for requiring vehicles with no Fishers resident in it to pay this $50 parking fee, which you uh, submitted to the city council, and it was approved on a 7-2 to two vote at the most recent city council meeting. Even going so far as one member of the Indianapolis City County Council sent a letter to our city council asking them to drop the charge. Uh, I've only got two questions about that. The first thing is, Mayor, is the city set in stone with this $50 non-resident parking fee continue for this summer season? Uh, yes, um, you know th this has been brought up a variety of times, and um, if if Ellie and I could have had the funding and the physical ability to build a park for the entire metropolitan area, we would have loved to have done that. Um, this site is constrained, 
that swimming area as you go out there is only the only portion that's available can only handle so many people and that number of people is how we engineered the parking lot and so there is what we have here is a limited capacity issue and so if there is a limited capacity issue you have to start asking yourself who should be prioritized to use that limited capacity from my perspective and and i understand why people you know if they want to criticize me they can i feel like the taxpayers who paid for the park the 30 million dollar investment should have priority to it uh, and so that's the decision that we made that's the recommendation we made to council majority of the council understood prioritizing safety and 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 our taxpayers uh, voted for it and i i completely understand other people's desires to want to utilize the amenity and nine months out of the year they can they can go out there and not be charged anything during the swim season where we have a limited capacity unfortunately there we do have to um we have to meter so to speak the number of people that would be available to get on get into that parking lot i only have one more question before sure. we move on to something else about that issue just explain this i think it's understandable that you look at safety issues and access mm -hmm. for city residents for the park were there any other options other than this $50 parking fee that you considered to address those issues? Yeah, so from a legal perspective, you can't ban people from outside of Fishers to, be, to use the park. That's not, that's not uh, legal to do. And you can't necessarily limit the number of people from outside of your community. The only thing that is practical and logical then is to apply a cost structure that is the equivalent of what your taxpayers are boring, uh, are bearing uh, with the park. And so we took a look, Elliot and I and others, and said, okay, $30 million plus the interest payments on that, if you were to pay that plus operations, what's the average homeowner in Fishers paying to be able to utilize this park? And it works out to, I think it was a little over $100 per home right. for the life of that asset. So we said to ourselves, well, if someone's coming here to visit and use, utilize that park, uh, what's a reasonable dollar amount that would make sense? And that's how we came to the $50 amount. And the 48-hour notice is really for us to be able to manage the inflow of cars that we're going to have. So again, you know, people are going to say what they're going to say. Um, it's, a, it's campaign season, so you know, people are out there trying to get clicks. But at the end of the day, it's a limited capacity, and uh, we chose Fisher's residents who are paying for the facility to be the priority. Let's move on to the reason we originally uh, set this up. Uh, things have happened since then as this podcast. But I'm going to start with Elliot because, you know, the, I think one of the great uh, uh, amenities coming to the city will be the new event center, which is – coming to an area which is the extension of Fisher's District, which now has a name, The Crossing, that has been recently put on it by Thompson Thrip that's uh, developing that. But in that area will be this event center, which I assume is a placeholder until we get someone to be the sponsor and put the name on there. But uh, what I'd like you to do is, is, is talk uh, about the event center, uh, when it will be available, and what people will expect to see there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, incredibly excited about this uh, new amenity for the, the community here. So it's 200,000 square foot world-class event center. Uh, they'll be the anchor of the new crossing area, which is a total of 53 acres. Uh, we'll host between 120 and 150 events there every single year. 
Our anchor tenant, uh, very exciting, is the Indy Fuel. So they'll play their 36 home games and hopefully uh, a host of playoff games every single season uh, if Mr. Howell and company have their way. Um, but it's going to be incredible. It's going to be an opportunity for our community to uh, hold really impressive uh, and meaningful gatherings there. So think about our Fishers High School graduation, our HSC High School graduation, Mud Sock basketball games, which I'm really excited about. This is Indiana. It should be a 7,500-packed house for an Indiana basketball game, and we'll hold that here in our community. I talked to Matt Kegley, assistant com- uh, superintendent yeah. for HSC schools. He made it clear once this facility is up and ready, he will apply to the IHSAA for a sectional. I, absolutely. That's fantastic news, and he, and he should. It's great. Um, think about proms being held there, a variety of other community events, and then um, a, a bunch of different entertainment options, right? So we're going to hold uh, top-tier concerts there. Think about Cirque du Soleil, Disney on Ice, things of that nature. So it's really, a, again, a world-class event center in our backyard uh, and a place for our, our residents in Hamlin County and Central Indiana to come uh, have a great time. And I think, you know, Elliot has literally lived and breathed this here for the last year, maybe two years. And I, what I hope people come away with after they first go into this facility is, it is um, really dynamic. It has a variety of different seating options. It's bringing the best technology that's out there today in the industry to bear. Um, the facility really is going to be um, as if you're going into uh, Madison Square Garden kind of uh, elements to it, whether it's bunker suites or luge seats or private clubs or bars. I mean, it is going to be extraordinary uh, and should be just an amazing place for people to come and experience different types of entertainment. Yeah, to the mayor's point, we really, we hired SCI Architects uh, and they're the firm that literally refurbed Madison Square Gardens. They've done the Seattle Kraken new NHL stadium, uh, Arizona State University's new stadium. So these guys are really absolute best in class and they're designing a place based on the experience. So you're not going and buying a ticket for seat, you know, C-17, for example, you're going to have 12, 15 different kinds of experiences in the exact same facility at the exact same time. And, Mayor, just to clear one thing up, because I've some people have been reading, okay, this what the capacity will be. The capacity and the number of seats available is really depending on the type of event that's being held. That's right? a great question, and Elliot can actually rattle that okay. off the top of his head better than <laughs> I can. But can you give them... Like a concert versus a hockey game versus something else? Yeah, so at a hockey game, uh, we could put 7,000 people into that building, 6,500 in seats, 500 standing room uh, opportunities. And then a concert's between 7,300 and 7,500, depending on where you put the stage. So if it's an in-cap, it's about 7,300. If it's a center stage uh, concert, uh, a little more than 7,500. What are artists, are there some of them like center stage and others don't? Is it just really what the artist wants as far as what the setup will be? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that's a good point about what the artists like, which um, we're excited to hear um, from the industry is that this size is really intriguing to really the top tier talent out there. And so uh, we can accommodate uh, either way. Um, you know, if it's in cap or center stage and kind of a more quaint environment, we can do that as well. So it's a really uh, versatile uh, space for us. Because, Mayor, not every single act is, is big enough to go to Gamebridge downtown Indy. Well, that's correct. Yeah, we're not Taylor Swift country right. or probably Garth Brooks. But I'll be honest with you, there, are, there will be world-class entertainment in this facility. Part of the reason I believe that is we partnered to operate the facility is a company called ASM, and they are a global venue management firm uh, and they are going to bring not only their expertise, but their connections into the um, live entertainment industry 
to bear. So what Ellie and I geek out about, I think, is coming probably first quarter of next year, you'll start to hear a series of announcements of the type of caliber that we're talking about delivering to our Fishers residents. And I think people are going to be super excited about yeah, uh, what's going to be available right, right outside their uh, neighborhoods. You know, I alluded earlier to the naming rights. The Indianapolis Star had a lengthy story about this a few weeks ago. For whoever who wants to address this, explain the process of who decides the naming rights, who signs a contract, and where the revenue goes. Yeah, so the uh, part of the lease deal with the Indy Fuel is that they will be responsible for recruiting and attracting those naming rights opportunities. And then they get a percentage, if you will, a finder's fee, for uh, identifying naming rights, and then ultimately the rest of the revenue would go to the city of Fishers for operational expenses. So uh, they're in those discussions with a variety of different people. It's obviously still pretty early. If you go out there right now, it's just a big gravel pad, so it takes a little imagination to get excited about it. Um, but I think you know, from a construction standpoint, it's not unreasonable to think that you will see the building go vertical in September? Yeah, this year. Uh, late this summer, we'll have steel on site. Uh, and yeah, you'll see the building vertical uh, well before we hit the winter months. And so 20, 24, 25, when will this, we start right. hosting Right, so uh, November, December of 2024, okay. uh, we will have this thing opened. Which sounds like a long ways away, but it's it really, it's, no, I mean, that's no. moving. That For a construction moving. project yeah. that size, that's a, that's a pretty quick uh, construction yes. season. I have to ask about another construction possibility, and that's the new recreation center that's been talked about for quite a long time. And I just have to be honest, I've, a, I've asked about this quite often, and every time I ask, they say, well, we don't have anything to say, but call us back in 30 to 60 days. <laughs> yeah. So I know you're running into some some issues. Construction. I did see the construction materials are starting to stabilize. I saw an industry yeah. newsletter yesterday where that had been a problem, and it's finally starting. Not, I mean, not necessarily to go down, but certainly stabilizing to the point where there's not going to be constant increases. Yeah. So with that in mind, I know you have a very – you and, and Todd Zimmerman was involved in the early stages of this year in your city council. So – this recreation center is, is is a big concept. So explain where you are now in that 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 plan. Well, you know, I think it's it's certainly we had a lot on our plate. To be honest with you, going into this year, that was one of the projects. But if you recall, we also had City Hall, uh, we had the arena, and we had Andretti Global, all kind of coming to bear in a matter of like 120 days. And so. To be honest, we if we had to prioritize, and Geist Waterfront Park, actually, this project, it didn't get knocked down the priority list, but we had to get some other things done first. And I'll put a plug in here for Jake uh, Reardon McSoley came on board, and we really needed his operational expertise to take what was a rough concept and really refine it into something that is going to be, I think, outstanding uh, for Fisher's residents. I think we're very close. And then Parallel to that, we had to work on land assemblage and, and where would we put it and do we have land to be able to do that? And we're still working through that. It's still confidential and we're working through that. But I think we're very close. So I guess I hate to do this to you, Larry, but in the next 30 days, <laughs> I, I hope to All roll right. that out to the community. We'll, but, we'll write but, that down. <laughs> but, I, but I do think, I mean, the number, what I get excited about, and I was telling someone this yesterday, you know, for a lot of years, my administration, we worked so hard to bring jobs to Fishers, and we're still doing that. Megan Baumgartner's doing a wonderful job at that. But I think everyone at Fishers recognizes the need for jobs, that the jobs are good in your community. But what hit home, what, what hits home 
to the dining room table for families is amenities and quality of life. And so, you know, seeing Geist Waterfront open up, talking about a community center, working on the Nickel Plate Trail, bringing world-class entertainment, those are things that actually get residents excited in their homes. And that's why I think right now is just a really exciting time to be a part of Fishers because these quality of life investments are historic in in the relatively speaking to the city of Fishers. And um, they're all coming online in a matter of 24 months. Of course, Mayor, you did tease us a little bit at your city, uh, state of the city address. You gave us uh, a rendering of what that uh, recreation center may look like. Is that still good? I think it's gotten better, frankly. Okay. I think it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, really? absolutely. It's uh, 100,000 square feet, uh, and I think the interior is really uh, improved uh, from that that initial rendering. It's going to be a fantastic uh, opportunity for our community, really, really neat. And, uh, Mayor, you have made a commitment that you were going to build the new City Hall Arts Center and also the Recreation Center without a, an increase in, in the uh, property tax rate. Of course, there was a the food and beverage tax was right. implemented as for, for part of the event center, but uh, that was the only increase in taxes you proposed so far. Yeah, that still holds true. I mean, um, parallel to all these great things, uh, Elliot and I have worked very, very hard along with our controller's office to put a financial plan together that has the least amount of burden on the taxpayers of Fishers. And I do believe we're going to hold true to our promise that uh, we will not be uh, raising taxes, uh, property tax rates, in order to accomplish what we said we were going to go do. Now, I've been a little busy lately. I usually go to Board of Works meetings. I missed a few, but I did watch one on video, uh, I think it was uh, a couple months ago, and this had to do with something called the Barrett Law. I don't want to explain the whole Barrett Law yeah. right here, but it's essentially a statutory provision. It creates a system for private businesses to pay over time for private road maintenance. So private road maintenance has been talked about ever since I was covering the town of Fishers, and you were the, the town manager at that time, and I'm sure you remember that. So at the March 29th Board of Works meeting, you had held a public comment session, had a lot of comments on the, the Barrett Law. This is a, for a particular area of the city along State Road 37 on the north end on both east and west sides, some private uh, road areas that you want to use the Barrett Law to upgrade. Um, you said at that time you're going to delay it, but it would be a brief delay. Where does that stand now? Yeah, I, I still think it'll be relatively brief delay. Where we are now is with more time, we feel confident we can bring down the cost to those businesses. So that's what we're doing right now. We're trying to figure out different bid specs, different construction processes in order to ensure that we can bring down the cost uh, to those folks. And this is really a policy question where you have private development built these roads to their standards. They probably did it at a less expense and so that they could control their own outcome. And now all of a sudden, fast forward 25 years later, they haven't really maintained those roads to the standards that everyone would like. They operate like public roads. And so the question to policymakers is really, well, do you just take them over? Or do you say, well, wait a second, why should Larry Lannon have to pay more property taxes to bail that group out of those private roads. And so what we've come up with is this barrel law scenario, which says, we'll take them over, but you guys are gonna pay for the next 20 years some amount of money to offset the cost to the city of Fishers for taking over those roads. And that's what we're working through right now. And it is complex um, and it's difficult, and I think our engineering department, Jason Taylor, Rich Bassett, that crowd is doing a great job interacting with those neighbors. And a lot of them are willing to do it. A lot of the neighbors 
businesses they're saying, hey, let's get this fixed, let's get this done. So we we want to we want to help them get that accomplished, and, and our team hopefully we can bring back a solution yet this summer uh, that will work for everyone. I know Jason Taylor was pushed on the whole issue of cost estimate. He made a very clear message that all he had was range, uh, low and high range, because things have been so. Um, well, and and with this, that's a great point, Larry. And with this time, what we're doing is we're actually bidding it. So that instead of saying, well, it could be anywhere from here to here, we're coming up with a scope and then we're actually going out to bid so that we can come back to the business and say, no, it actually costs this amount of money. I um, want to talk about City Hall Arts Complex because uh, we're looking at it right here from where we're sitting in this uh, pavilion building. And I think if anybody's driven by the municipal complex in recent time, you have seen that building take shape. You can now sort of see what the outline of the building is going to be. So either one of you want to take this. Uh, how is that construction progress going now? Yeah, it's going really well. Uh, I'm optimistic that this time next year we can have a podcast in that new building. Um, but Modern Nation doing a great job. It, uh, I think the building's uh, really modern and exciting, and it really uh, you know rounds out literally and figuratively uh, the downtown uh, space here, municipal complex. The second and third floor is going to be our traditional city hall spaces. And the first floor uh, will be uh, the art studios, right? And so uh, theater and, and art on, on the left and right side of the building. And so it's going to be a, a building for the people. And I'm really excited about that to see uh, the community engage with that space. And then, you know, City Hall is really an afterthought above those two, that space. You know, Mayor, uh, for, during the summer months, we've had the amphitheater uh, for years and was improved several years ago after its initial construction. Now you'll be able to have uh, a theater with year-round uh, events. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a nice amenity. So if anybody comes into the central area here and sees this big building, the concrete box on the far, I guess, to the west side of the building is the theater and also will serve as council chambers. And, you know, it's going to be a small theater, I think 200 some seats, Elliot. Yep. Uh, so it's not huge, but for community, you know, if, uh, if they want to do a piano recital, you know, if someone wants to give a talk on something, it's just to have that available for residents. And I think the Indianapolis Art Center has a lot of great ideas on how they can activate that space as well. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of uh, art classes they're going to put on, so yeah, really so have I, space for that as well. Yeah, I mean, every day they plan to, like any given day of the week and probably Saturdays and Sundays too, if you were to walk into City Hall going forward, you will literally be walking by windows and you'll see people in there taking sculpting classes, pottery classes, watching people uh, paint. I just think it's... I think for Ellie and I, selfishly, it's a cool place to come to work yeah, and have absolutely. that versus, you know, walking by a permitting stand. It's not quite, <laughs> quite the same thing. Uh, moving on, I had to make, I promised Tom Britt I would mention this because the city is working with Tom Britt's Town Post Network in uh, preparing a time capsule for that city hall to be put in there to be opened, uh, I think it's 27, 2077. Mark it down, I'm not going to be there. But, um, <laughs> The city is asking people to write letters. Now, for younger people, this may be a foreign concept because they use technology, but writing an old-fashioned letter on paper and, and putting it into this time capsule, Mayor, talk about this idea. I think we're trying to do a better job of um, embracing kind of storytelling, and, and we do recognize from time to time that we're in moments of kind of watershed moments. So building a new city hall isn't something you do every day. And uh, I think our communications team is 
being very creative about ways to celebrate that and honor that. And uh, I think I'll probably just put a Diet Coke in, in the time capsule. Say I'm cheers. Yeah. From what I understand, the chemistry in there it may still be there. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Fine. I might still be there then. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, okay, that's. Yeah. I don't think I will, but you may have yeah, a shot at it if technology continues. Yeah. Anything else uh, about the time capsule, Elliot? No, it's just gonna be really neat. Uh, I'm excited for folks uh, down the road to get uh, excited about opening up and, and learning about what this place was like back in 2023. So it's going to be a fun thing for the residents of the future. Got to ask you about a que- about a story that ended up on the front page of the print edition of the Indianapolis Star. John Tuyas was the reporter. And it talked about this whole uh, issue of, uh, the. And it was talked about at the last city council meeting. I actually didn't get a chance to write about it because I had so many other things to write about in that. But there is, there's a new... Uh, Life science uh, building, I think it's going to actually uh, fill out that whole life science area near 126 and Carmel and south and, and east of there, uh, or west of there. So you've got um, that in shape. And, but there was the gist the of the story was that Nobles Mayor Chris Jensen supposedly was talking to these people who are going to end up in this rented space. Uh, there was talk about he was surprised to hear this. You had not been aware that they had been talking to Noblesville, at least recently. I know I had you and Chris Jensen on a podcast, and you were pretty clear that you worked together on these things. Uh, what actually happened here, to the best of your knowledge? Yeah. Well, first of all, Chris is a good friend. We get along We get along really, really well. This is kind of an odd set of circumstances. The uh, company was originally intending to build a building, in Noblesville, uh, in the Innovation Mile area. And then for a variety of reasons, of which I'm not 100% involved in or sure of, they decided not to build. And then they went quiet for a while. And then the developer that we entered into an agreement with to build this building, 50% of it was going to be speculative, which means there there are no tenants. The other 50%, we, we said, you really need to go get some life science companies to be a part of this. Well, they ended up uh, talking to these individuals and they ended up wanting to rent in the building instead of build their own building. And so we said, okay, fine, moving forward. As long as you have those tenants, you're, you're good to go here in the city of Fishers. It, it wasn't until after we approved it that Chris mentioned to me that he said, hey, these guys were still talking to me even after the deal went dead mm-hmm. up in Noblesville. So I think in reality, uh, I think the the companies were probably talking to both of us, trying to see which outcome made sense for them. And it turned out this way. But, you know, Chris and I remain really great friends. I think, you know, the this, this storyline and the headline, as usual, is probably a little more dramatic than what actually occurred. But Well, I mean, it's, it's not a surprise that a, that, a, that a, how should I put it, a, a, a business would play two cities against each other for the best deal. Yeah. This happens all yeah. the time. And honestly, I mean, and Chris would vouch for this, the first time I met them, uh, when I realized that they were a company that had already announced in uh, Noblesville that they were building there, my first call after the meeting was to Chris mm-hmm. and said, hey, Chris, these guys showed up on my door. What's going on? So we, we've we had an open channel of communication between Chris and I. Um, it's just unfortunate that this occurred. But, you know, like I said, Noblesville's and Fisher's relationship have never been better, and uh, regardless of what the Indy Star prints about it. Well, I was surprised to see it on the front page. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so was I, and so was Chris. Uh, He sent it to me, and we were both kind of astonished because 
I mean, we, we've been, we text almost every two, three days, so we don't, we, it's fine. We're about out of time, so I want to ask about one other thing, and that has to do with the Allisonville Road Corridor Study. That was a very big, you know, I used to live close to Allisonville Road. My first home was in Sunblessed, for it's that for Jane and I, and uh, so we've had an interest. That was the commercial center of Fishers when I first moved here. And, of course, other, the commercial activity has sort of moved on to other places. It's not gone, but it's, it's seen better days. I think uh, the decision by Kroger to move to that bigger store, which they originally had said they were going to do years ago, in that open space uh, along uh, Allisonville Road certainly is one of the big uh, takeaways from that. But there's more to it than that. Who would like to talk about the Allisonville Road study and what it will mean now? Well, Mayor? yeah, I think it was great to get all the participation from Allisonville residents. There's a lot of ownership and a lot of direction was given to the city as to what Allisonville residents want to see. Uh, there's a couple big elements that I think need to shake out over the next couple of years. One, Kroger building their new building. That's going to be a big undertaking. I, I think they need Star covered it this week. I mean, it's a big project. Um, then 116th and Allisonville, the, the roundabout that's going to be built there. That's going to be a a major project and, and disruptive to the area until it gets completed. And then we're, uh, I think, hopefully we we announced, I don't know that we announced it, but we approved it, that we're going to go ahead and finish all the streetscape plans that we had uh, all the way down to 96th Street, I believe, mm-hmm. or 106th Street. We're moving up uh, south to north along Allisonville Road. Yep. So we have funding, uh, we found funding to go ahead and get all those medians done. Mm. So there is, uh, there are improvements underway. There'll be a lot of activity in that space over the next few years, and uh, I think we'll continue to try to push the envelope to, to deliver the vision that Allisonville residents want to see. Okay, we're about out of time, as I mentioned. Elliot, uh, anything you want to add that we didn't bring up? No, just uh, just to the residents, right? Uh, first off, congrats to the high school seniors. I think tomorrow is their last day uh, officially of classes, and so a uh, huge milestone for those students. Uh, then to everyone else that calls Fisher's Home, uh, enjoy the summer and get out. Uh, check out your community. There's a lot of cool things going on, so uh, make the most of it and have some fun. I think the, the only plug, a shameless plug I would put out there is Smart Pass, Fisher Smart Pass. Um, sign up for it. Uh, it's, it's the start of something bigger than just getting into Geist Waterfront Park. This really is kind of a long-term vision we have of creating a digital place where people can do an awful lot of city business. So please, please sign up for that Smart Pass so it'll get you into Geist Waterfront. We've had over 3,500 residents already sign up in the first 48 hours, um, and we, we hope to have a whole lot more than that uh, as we move forward. I was going to say 3,501 because I just completed mine yeah, nice. right before Excellent. I came All right, in well, that's, and if, we're glad to hear that. If a 71-year-old guy can do it, anybody can well, do it. Well, the test so. actually Amen. was whether I could do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was sent home with an assignment to see if I could do it. And when I came back and said I was successful at it, the whole team breathed easier, like, oh, well, if Scott can do it, I mean. And, and, a, and it. a warning to people, it does take up to two hours for it to take hold. So once you've done the registration yeah. and you go on there, don't, and it doesn't hit, don't worry. Wait, yeah. come back a little Correct. less about two hours later because that's what I did, and everything worked fine. And Perfect. that's how you get into Correct. Guy's Waterfront Park uh, with, with your car, and I assume there'll be other uh, ways to use yeah, it in the future. Absolutely. This is the start of something, not the end of it. Mayor Scott Fadness and Deputy Mayor Elliot Hulkren, thanks for your time. We always enjoy talking to the two of you. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you'd like to comment on my blog, please do so with any suggestions. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.